Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! All right, Miami indeed, and what better way to express my excitement for today's show than the late, great Jim Mandich's famed tagline. What's up, Dolphins? Travis Wingfield with you here, as always, for the Thursday, November 30th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, ready to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are going to be discussing the Dolphins' long-term plans at quarterback, address some of the problems with the Dolphins' defensive communication, and all the distractions this team has faced from the hurricane to Chris Forrester, and how much of an impact on the season has all of that stuff had, and much, much more. And let's not waste any more time getting this guest onto the show. He has been kind enough to feature some of my video cut-ups in his weekly The Tape Don't Lie column. He covers the Miami Dolphins beat for the Palm Beach Post, none other than Joe Shad. Joe, thank you for coming on the program today. Thanks for having me, and thanks for allowing me to use the uh, excellent video breakdowns that you do uh, within the content of, uh, of the Daily Dolphin blog. And Somehow, every time I type a player's name into Twitter after I've done some sort of review, one of your video breakdowns uh, pops up, and they always seem to fit in perfectly. <laughs> well, I'm glad my imprint's being left on the team some, uh, one way or another, so <laughs> good to hear that. Joe, I was initially bummed out when I learned that you were going to be leaving the national market with ESPN, but I was thrilled when I learned that you were going to be coming back to South Florida to cover the Dolphins full-time, and I'm sure you weren't too upset about trading in Bristol, Connecticut for the sunny skies of South Florida. Yeah, my wife is thrilled. Uh, we currently live in uh, in Parkland, Florida, which is uh, northwest of uh, Davie, the Dolphins training facility. And uh, my wife, uh, who, who travels to often for work to places like Minneapolis and Chicago, told me that she never wants to leave. So uh, we need to make sure the Palm Beach Post keeps going strong, and we need to make sure that uh, maybe Adam Gase wins some more games because reader interest increases as the team wins. Don't I know that and how that goes? And and it's certainly a lot more fun to cover a winning team too, I'll tell you that. We started the podcast, or I had a different podcast a year ago, and, and it was just a blast that whole season covering, you know, the Kiko Alonso pick six and the, you know, the, the Kiko Alonso and Dominic Sue stop of Colin Kaepernick, just all the fun finishes they had. It makes it a lot more fun. Yeah, there were so many special memories from last year. It seemed like the Dolphins found every possible way to win and of course this year they've found every possible way to lose i was talking to rashad jones in the locker room today and i had a really good um just kind of casual chat with him and he's so beside himself he's so dismayed he's so frustrated he told me that after the game he really just didn't even feel like himself meeting the patriots game and he did not have a very good game he missed some tackles and and was involved in some big plays going the wrong way and as you know, Travis, there's been some confusion in the Dolphins secondary. and There's a rookie in a second-year corner that Rashad is trying to work with. And, and uh, so it's, you know, it's just very frustrating for him. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of veterans on this team who have been around a while who, who felt like they sort of turned a corner last year, and, and now it's reverted backwards. It's like they didn't just slam on the brakes. They're, they're going backwards. <laughs> Stuck in reverse, and I'm sure you know having a new safety next to him as well, and McDonald is a little bit tough with the communication. We'll get to that here in a second, Joe, but you talked about how well last season went, and I want to kind of talk about how where this season has gone wrong, at least from you know a certain 
different types of perspectives. And, and the first one I want to talk about is the quarterback. And, and obviously it's a, a pretty hot button topic. If you, uh, if you follow the dolphins on Twitter at all, and I, I know you do. <laughs> so uh, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, I mean, he's been such a lightning rod for the fan base for this team, whether it was the booze last year in the Tennessee game. And then just the cheers when he gets hurt against Arizona, it's just back and forth with him and back and forth. And I've always seen a pretty good player on tape. So my question to you, Joe is how much better do you think this team would have been this year with Ryan Tannehill under center? Uh, instead of four and seven, I figured the Dolphins would be about six and five. So I think, you know, two or three wins uh, at this point, certainly. Um, you know, there are a lot of Tana haters out there, and, and they say that the only reason that um, I haven't given up on Ryan Tannehill yet is because I haven't watched him for as long as these fans have. And, <laughs> and you're right. There are so many fans who believe that Tannehill will be nothing better than an average quarterback even though statistically he was much better than that last year. I mean, his, his statistics in key passing categories, including yards per attempt and yards per completion, have, have increased, and that's what you want. You want a player who's ascending, who's improving, who's becoming more accurate on the run, who's becoming a more accurate deep ball thrower, who's becoming more willing to use his mobility because he's encouraged by his coach. Um, there have been... 12 million different things that have gone wrong for the Dolphins this year. And we know that it's been everything from a hurricane to white powdery substance. <laughs> um, but I think that nothing is more key or critical or important in the NFL and especially for the Dolphins than the loss of Tannehill. I mean, obviously it was a huge mistake not to have the surgery. And I think that Dolphin fans should really appreciate Tannehill more, um, you know, and say, you know what, we have a top 10, top 12 NFL quarterback that's a heck of a lot better than Jay Cutler, who at times this year has been statistically the 33rd best quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> and you would think that'd be the case. And I, I've seen some stuff on Twitter where people say, well, with Tannehill, our sling was 8-8. Eight and eight. And it's like, well, yeah, you're 8-8 eight and eight then, but now you're 4-7. and seven. How much better does that feel? And it kind of almost makes you appreciate him more, at least it does for me, seeing what he's done with this offensive line and the receivers. Because there's not really a whole lot of roster changes elsewhere on the offense. You go from Jordan Cameron to Julius Thomas. You go from Brandon Albert sliding or getting off, or retiring, I guess, or, or getting traded to Jacksonville. And you slide tons of over the left tackle, and you bring in a new left guard. So not a lot of changes, just the quarterback. And like you said, you lose your quarterback, your season, for the most part, is going to be over. You look at Green Bay. You look at Houston. You look at uh, Minnesota has had you know some luck with Case Keenum, but pretty much if your quarterback goes down, you're you're in trouble. So with that in mind, is Ryan Tannehill this team's long-term view at the quarterback position, or are they gonna? I mean, if this draft pick keeps getting better and better, do they have a guy they love that they maybe make a move for there, or what's what's going to happen at quarterback? Well, long-term is relative in the NFL. Um, I remember uh, after Byron Maxwell got cut, I was saying to one of the Dolphins' defensive backs, I was like. It's crazy. I mean, that guy, I was pointing to the locker. I was like, that guy was here, and it's like he just vanished. And, and whoever the player was, I don't remember. He goes, yeah, not for long, and that's true. Um, but, you know, for Tannehill, he's their quarterback for next year. Um, I, I believe that he is definitely their quarterback for next year. I believe that Adam Gase thinks that he can win with Ryan Tannehill and that Tannehill is good enough and that he's an ascending player. Um, I would be shocked if the Dolphins drafted a quarterback. I think even if they ended up in the top six, which, by the way, you know, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, and uh, the Wyoming kid, Josh Allen, I mean, they're probably all going to go in the top six because teams panic uh, for quarterbacks and or trade up for quarterbacks. Um, you know, the Dolphins have so many issues now, so many positions of need, 
that I just don't think quarterback is one of them. I mean, look, running back has become a position of need, and that sure didn't seem to be the case before the season. And, you know, the Dolphins thought that they had at least for two years, for example, cured their linebacker need. Now, boom, Lawrence Timmons is probably going to be gone after the year. So you're right back where you started. So, so many needs, and I just don't think quarterback is one of them. I think Tannehill is good enough, and I think the Dolphins think Tannehill is good enough. Yeah, that's a good point talking about how teams panic about quarterbacks because you look back over the years with guys like Christian Ponder or Jake Locker that get catapulted way up the draft board when really they didn't belong anywhere near the first round, let alone top 10. And with that in mind, the Dolphins probably going to have one of the premier blue chip players at whether it's edge rusher or the cornerback or whatever it is, you're probably going to have a, a really solid player looking at you in the face when you pick in that that high in the draft. So good to hear about Ryan Tannehill. You know, I, last year he had that stretch of games where he had he posted, I did a study with some quarterback rating studies, and he posted ratings of 130.6, 124 and 130.6 again in three separate games and there was only like 55 games across the NFL over 512 quarterback performances where a quarterback had a rating that high and he did it three times so it was cool to see him kind of grow into that role and become the player that he became last year but outside of quarterback Joe outside of the position what is the biggest reason for the second year slump under Adam Gaze in your estimation oh man uh, well look the Dolphins banked on uh Anthony Steen, Ted Larson, Jermon Bushrod, Jesse Davis as being good enough, and that has not panned out. Laramie Tunsil has not played as well as the Dolphins would have liked to have thought. Adam Gase has banked on some players from his past. He had Ted Larson in Chicago. He had Julius Thomas in Denver. And those players aren't what they were when he had them. So I think, you know, there was some some over-calculations made um, you know, it's, it's just, there are some jarring things that have happened though. I mean, for the Dolphins to be among the worst teams in sacks, for example, is inexplicable considering the amount of money that the Dolphins invest in their, uh, you know, star laden, uh, defensive line. Um, you know, how many passing, how much, how many passing yards they've given up is, is shocking. You know, the Tony Lippin injury goes a little bit under the radar and, I think, you know, the Dolphins haven't won since J.H.I. was traded, and I know that the Dolphins and Adam Gase view that as a longer-term move. But I think, you know, I think number one, aside from, you know, all the things I've mentioned, is the Dolphins don't have an identity on offense right now. And that's a little bit cliche to say, and I know Adam Gase's big thing is, you know, we make the personnel that we have fit the offense. But I think Adam Gase, it would be in his best interest to run the offense that he wants to run. And, and figure out what pieces fit and which don't, and then jettison the ones that don't. That's what he did with Ajayi. You know, he didn't, Ajayi didn't want to run the plays that he wanted to run, and he didn't think that his best plays were plays that suited Ajayi's style. So that's part of why Ajayi went, that and the fact that Ajayi was malcontent um, from the perspective of the Dolphins. And he was also frustrating to the media, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Well, um, and he blocked us all on Twitter, which is fascinating. I'm like, I'm like the last time I wrote about you, JJ, I wrote about your chocolate thing that you launched, about your clothing brand that you launched, <laughs> about you know, I don't even about your emoji, the J train emoji, like. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm such a hater, JJ. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good to hear a little bit of confirmation, at least from the organization standpoint, that they were at least somewhat justified. And then I actually saw a story on, I, I don't know who wrote it, but there was a story about how JJ was upset about getting just five carries in the Eagles' last victory. So, you know, I guess that those stories start to add up, and where there's smoke, there is fire. 
But speaking about Adam Gaze, and, and you know, we hear a lot about how he's a very, and I'll use the word, confident man, and with good reason given his track record, both with Denver and then obviously with Jay Cutler in Chicago, kind of making chicken salad out of you-know-what. But sometimes that confidence, or let's call it what it is, I suppose, an ego, can get in the way. And it's had its way of causing problems for guys like Josh McDaniels in Denver and Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. Do you get any sense of that same type of bravado and kind of impeding Adam Gaze's ability in Miami? It's interesting that you bring up Chip Kelly. I don't think Adam Gase is anything like Chip Kelly. And I've been around both, and I know both quite well. And uh, as a former University of Florida reporter, I was glad to see that, for example, Kelly didn't land at Florida because I don't think that would have been a good fit. I don't know that Chip Kelly is a great fit in many places. I think Oregon was a great fit up and had a lead because of recruiting violations. So um, I don't I don't think that this guy is as disliked, as totalitarian, as dictarian uh, as uh, Chip Kelly. Um, I think, you know, I think I think that in the offseason, Adam Gase will probably concede that he got dealt a little bit of humble pie and that he needs to um, get back to the things that he believes in. And, you know, you have to believe that uh, you can win. You have to be a confident man. I never got the – I didn't cover Joe Philbin, but I didn't get the perception that he was a confident man who exuded confidence or drew out the confidence in others. So, you know, those were Adam Gase's strengths last year, and they haven't gone away just because the team has lost more than expected. So I think, um, you know, I think who Adam Gase is, is is good in terms of his leadership style. And, uh, and his personality and demeanor, I think that those are, are good things. Um, you know, there's supposed to be systems of checks and balances, and I think that the trio of Gase, Tannenbaum, and Chris Greer, you know, has the potential. It has always had the potential to work really well. I've always, I, I've kind of liked that structure they put in place because for a long time for the Dolphins, it seemed like no one really knew what was who was doing what. You know, whether they go back to Dennis Hickey and the Joe Philbin era, like you mentioned, or whether it was Jeff Ireland and Bill Parcells and Tony Sperano and who was picking the players and, and who was in charge of what. But now it seems like you have a pretty clear picture with Mike Cannonball with the free agents and the contracts and that kind of thing. Chris Greer and his great scouting background. I mean, the guys on the Move the Sticks podcast, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, talk about him a lot and how they really are you know, big believers in what he does. So I think the structure is, at least from what I can see as a, a fan and a podcast host, Joe, from what I can see, it seems like they finally have a bit of direction compared to what it was in the past, which was just chaos. Yeah, checks and balances. Um, and, you know, and Gase does have final say. And so, you know, if he wants to trade up for a wide receiver, uh, it's probably going to happen. Adam, uh, Mike Tannenbaum's going to work the phones and try to get that done. If he wants to sign a player, um, Tannenbaum is going to strongly consider it. And, uh, and Chris Greer and those guys are going to strongly consider guys that he suggests will fit his system. Um, but, you know, those things evolve over time. And so, um, and, you know, and, and when the team is winning, uh, everything is beautiful. Of course, losing uh, can, can corrode the best of professional relationships. It yeah. would be in the Dolphins' best interest to, uh, if not win down the stretch this year, to uh, at least rebound next year because you don't want the confidence in that structure to be shaken for anybody, including the fans, the players, or most importantly, ownership. 100% agree with that. And uh, moving to the other side of the ball now, you tweeted the other day something to the effect of the mantra of the Dolphins season has been, my bad, I thought you had him. And that's in reference to the communication <laughs> breakdowns in the secondary. Is this something the Dolphins are privy to? I mean, I, I imagine they're not <laughs> oblivious to it, but are, what are they doing to fix this problem, Joe? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been the same thing over and over and over relative to the secondary and the offensive line. And those are the two groups of weakness that really stand out. And of course, the former offensive line coach, Chris Furster, uh, no longer offensive line coach. And the Dolphins secondary has struggled to the point that you wonder about potential staff changes. So um, uh, what are they doing to fix it? Um, well, you know, they say they watch more tape. Uh, which you would think they would do. That's something that Adam Gase pointed out at a certain point this year. His players needed to do, spend more time in the facility. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, like in the secondary, you have someone inexperienced. So on plays where Cordray Tankersley or Xavier Howard appear to be running a man-to-man coverage when everyone else is in uh, zone or vice versa, um, you know, those are just mental errors, you know, and some of that maybe will be helped with uh, experience, you know? Um, and then on the offensive line, I think, you know, the same thing. I mean, you lose your line coach, you bring in a guy from the outside uh, and coach Googe, I guess they call him who, you know, it's kind of hard to know who the offensive line coach is. Cause you see Googe running the show at times. And then you see this other guy who was the assistant offensive line coach to first to running the show at sometimes. And the players have told me the offensive linemen, like we're being asked to prepare in a different way than we were earlier in the season. And we're being asked to do some different techniques than we were earlier in the season. So it becomes convoluted. It becomes confusing. You know, like you would like to do it one way and just kind of always do it that way. That's like a big gaze thing. You know, like we install our system and, you know, like what the Patriots do, you know, like they, you could look at like what their, you know, free safety does now and look at what he did 12 years ago. And it's like the same thing. It looks the same. Well, unfortunately, when the Dolphins have looked the same this year, it's because you don't know what the hell is going on. They're just all scattered. It's just a disaster. It's a mess. It's embarrassing. And so I think down the stretch, that's the thing the Dolphins need to prove more than anything, that they can fix some stuff, that they can correct some stuff, that frankly, they can be less embarrassing. Well, I guess it's encouraging to hear that there's it's just minor mental errors and kind of stuff with preparation, that kind of thing that can fix this this stuff because there are a lot of talented players in this team. And your point about the coaching staff and what seems to be a little bit of confusion there kind of segues into my next question. And that is, it has to do with Matt Burke and and kind of what he's been doing. And the Dolphins run fewer dime packages than just about anybody in the NFL. And you would think that maybe with the linebacker coverage issues they've had, they would try some more of that. But is Adam Gase's staff, is there a full confidence in that? Is, Is that confidence wavering with ownership or what's, what's the status of the guys that are underneath Adam Gase on that coaching? staff well certainly if the season ends up with five or six wins there would be an extensive evaluation of all the coaches including coordinators and Gase isn't going to fire himself as offensive coordinator so it'd really be more on the defensive side of the ball you know strangely the Dolphins gave up more yards on defense last year than any team in the history of the NFL and their defensive coordinator got hired by the Broncos as head coach so go figure I mean that, that and now he's on the hot seat and now he's lost seven in a row, and the Dolphins have lost five in a row. And I think I tweeted some stat earlier that the two teams that are playing on Sunday, Adam Gase and Vance Joseph, who are obviously close friends, worked together for many years, have lost 12 straight by an average score of 32 to 14. So good luck, Fox. I mean, it's horrific. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, everybody, everybody's job will be um, evaluated, and I think – you know, Gate, not Gase. I mean, Gase, in my estimation, is completely safe. And as far as ownership, I mean, they'll sign off on whatever Gase says, I, I believe. Um, Stephen Ross is enamored by Adam Gase, as we all were last year. Um, so I don't remember if you had another point that you mentioned in your question that I forgot, but. 
no, you're comprehensive as can oh, be. Okay. I really, I really appreciate that. But I got just a few more for you, Joe, and let's get back to doing your thing. Um, and you, you mentioned some of these things earlier in the podcast, and I kind of chuckled at it because I have it written down here almost word for word the way you put it. And it has to do with all the distractions this team has faced. And obviously you were part of being in South Florida during the hurricane when Hurricane Irma hit. And, and maybe you can kind of enlighten us a little bit on what it's like to have to travel that much and be away from your home and sleeping in different beds and all this stuff that goes into that. But how much did all these distractions, whether it was Hurricane Irma, Lawrence Timmons, I, I call it the, the Lawrence Timmons Los Angeles adventure that he went on, uh, Chris Furster's uh, white pottery substance you mentioned. How much are all these excuses legitimate for reasons the season has gone poorly? And just kind of uh, uh, reflect on that from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, coaches will tell you, look, there are no excuses. But And I say, okay, well, then there are reasons. So there are reasons, and these are contributing reasons. And Adam Gates can't talk about it now, and the players can't really talk about it now. But, you know, does not having a bye hurt Lawrence Timmons as he clearly slows down throughout the season? Yes, absolutely. Did it hurt Cam Wake when he had three consecutive games with 40 snaps? And now he played well last week against the Patriots, but hadn't played very well in the four previous games. Um, Does that hurt him? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, injured players like Andre Branch, who's been playing through pain and hasn't had an opportunity to get healthy. You know, um, yeah, it hurts him. Of course it hurts. It hurts all these guys. And, you know, that they, they had to, to go to London. I mean, what a stroke of unfortunate bad luck, I guess, although the Dolphins seem to go to London all the time. Um, and, and then they got shut out there, and that was no – it would be impossible to say that the schedule leading up to the London game didn't impact their ability. I mean, that their team's not as bad as they looked that day. I was exhausted. And, you know, and I'm no athlete. I'm no player. You know, I was tired from flying all over the place. evacuating my home to go to New York with my family and worrying about whether my house was going to be here when, when I got back. I mean, you know, athletes are built to, to work through those sorts of distractions and focus on, you know, one game at a time, one drive at a time, one play at a time. But, um, yeah, I think when it's all said and done, everyone will admit that everything that could go wrong did go wrong this year. And that that will be one of the big reasons cited for, you know, hope and a, and a maybe worse to first. All right, not worse to first. Worse to second, because <laughs> you can't go worse to first it, in the AFC East. It's never going to happen. It seems like I, I've been. I'm 30 years old, Joe. I've been a fan of this team since I can since I could walk. And I mean, I was in sixth grade the last time they won a playoff game. So I'm just I'm waiting for that Brady and Belichick uh, tour to to come yeah. to an end. Finally, it's 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 been enough for me. So I'm pretty pretty over it. But uh, you know, you mentioned something about the Dolphins going to London every year. And this is kind of a bonus question that I just thought of. But I'm curious because they they put in a request of the season or before the schedule came out to to open at home. They wanted to open at home and they wanted to have a late bye week. And they were awarded those by the NFL. And then what happens with the hurricane? Both of those are wiped out. So do you think that's something that the NFL maybe might go easy on them in terms of the schedule next year and try to give them those things back or maybe try to, you know, give them that late by obviously no London game, maybe a, maybe a home game on Thursday instead of all these road Thursday games, which are almost impossible. It seems like are, is the NFL going to help out? Or are they just going to be <laughs> the never, stu- never ending force of just bad luck for the dolphins? Well, the one thing that jumps out relative to the schedule, if the Dolphins finish with a poor record, they should have an easier schedule. Of course, this year's schedule is very difficult, um, not just from a travel perspective, but also from a a strength of schedule perspective. So, um, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, I remember when I covered college football, everybody felt that like the SEC favored Alabama every year when the schedule came out. So I don't know. I haven't done a comprehensive study on whether or not the Dolphins get screwed on a year-to-year basis relative to 
um, where, where their buys are. But you're right. I mean, all I know is the Dolphins were granted exactly what they wanted this year, and it just didn't happen to work out. So uh, we'll see. But I'm all set on London for a while, and I think the Dolphins are too. <laughs> Definitely, especially the home the home divisional game against the Jets a few years ago. That was, that was uh, not too much fun, in my opinion. And this next question I have for you, Joe, this is going to um, put you on the fence with some uh, – some of the Dolphins faithful on Twitter. This is one of the most, uh, uh, one of the fan favorites of the Dolphins, and and he's got a big contract coming up this offseason. He's kind of the lightning rod of the offense, the, the juice, so to speak, and you know who I'm talking about. What happens with Jarvis Landry this offseason? I think Landry will be back in 2018 in one capacity or another. I think the Dolphins would like to come to an agreement with him on what they perceive to be a fair contract. I mean, whether that's, you know, 12 to 13 million dollars you know i think that that would be something that the dolphins would be all in favor of but when you get into that 14 to 16 million dollars a year now all of a sudden the dolphins start to cringe and say can we pay um a slot receiver who averages eight yards per catch (laughs) that kind of money um so i think in in a worst case scenario and jarvis landry might not like to hear this but i think the dolphins would be willing to bring back uh, Jarvis on a one-year uh, franchise deal. I mean, I think that if push comes to shove, they'll tag him. And with Devontae Parker's lack of uh, explosion that we were promised this year, and, and Kenny Stills, he's he's been a good player, but you, you kind of have to have Landry, I think, with this offense to work just because of what he does on third down and that kind of stuff too. So good to hear about that. And then, Joe, I've got two more for you here, and these are these are going to uh, date you a little bit back on uh, previous Dolphin stuff. And, and I, I did some research about some of your work back in the past and, and looked up some stuff with you and Ricky Williams back in 2003. And Ricky Williams, for me, has been my favorite Dolphins player since forever. I, I mean, I was, I was a young kid growing up watching him, and that year he had the 1,800 rushing yards was just phenomenal. So I was curious if you had any good Ricky Williams story you could share on the podcast for us. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a long time ago. Um, but I do remember uh, Ricky being, of course, quirky and preferring to have a conversation about anything that wasn't football. It was always fascinating to me that a guy could be that good and not really like football. He just did it because he was so good at it. He kind of had to. He had no choice but to do it. Um, Obviously, a little bit of the social anxiety stuff where he would do interviews occasionally with a football helmet on. I do remember one time saying to him, why don't you ever open your fan mail? Because the player, he had the biggest box of fan mail. At the time, they used to keep the fan mail in the locker room. I don't think they, they do that now. I haven't noticed. Unless fan, unless the players were getting more fan mail back then than they do now. Uh, but I remember I wrote a column about um, uh, f- what players get in the mail. And I remember, uh, you know, Jason Taylor told me that people used to always ask him for a car. Like, they would outline, like, here's what car I want you to buy from me. Like, oh, you're my cousin. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And uh, Zach, T- Zach Thomas used to talk about how many nude photos he would get from women who wanted wanted to be with it. But I remember Ricky had just the biggest box and it was, it was like, it was like Christmas. It was so big. Ricky, why don't you ever open up that stuff? And he was like, man, you, you, you opened some of those things. And I was like, seriously, you want me to open up some of this stuff? So I remember I opened up with his permission. I opened up one of the things. It was like a gift or whatever. And it was like plays that, that this person thought would be good for Ricky that he wanted to give to Dave Wanstad. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, 
<laughs> so Ricky Williams didn't have enough success. Uh, <laughs> some fan thought that that wasn't you, by the way, was it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I knew how the, the mail worked back then, just yet. Okay. Uh, anyway, yeah, Ricky was a, was a character. He was one of his <laughs> one, a unique bird for sure. And I really wasn't shocked when he ended up having to leave the NFL uh, twice, right? Yeah, yeah, there was an injury in there as well, and, and I mean, I, I could not have been a bigger fan of the guy when I was a kid, and I remember my buddy broke the news to me over the phone. My buddy was a quite a bit of a prankster, and he, he called me on the phone. I mean, this was before, you know, I had text on my phone. This was before Twitter, all that stuff, so he called me, and I was like, oh, very funny, man, like, good joke, and then I wake up in the next day in the newspaper, I see it, and I'm just... I'm just disheveled. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was heartbreaking to any Dolphins fans, you can imagine. So uh, it, he broke our hearts, but then he came back and kind of won his way back into my heart. Yeah, kind of remind. Now, I grew up in New York, so it kind of reminds me of when this will date me. But when I was in elementary school, uh, I, was a, I was a Mets fan, and both Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, and there was a 30 for 30 about this not long ago, uh, really broke this, you know, third, fourth graders' hearts uh, by, uh, you know, similarly – uh, you know, screwing up and, and finding themselves, uh, you know, off the team or out of the league. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I remember that seeing that 30 for 30 and, and seeing those Mets guys. And, and uh, there was a, there was a good carrot top joke talking where he brought a prop onto his set one time and there was a, a big giant straw baseball bat. And I'll let you uh, connect the dots on that one. So that's kind of how I remember <laughs> that whole story. And then Joe, the last one I had for you here, and this is going back to your college football days as well. And, and uh, Dolphins fans, not the most beloved guy in Miami, Nick Saban. Do you have any good Nick Saban stories for me? Um, well, uh, you know, so I covered Saban very briefly with the Dolphins. I, I was able to get out of there and head to ESPN to cover college football um, basically as soon as he took over. But I do remember that one day shortly after he took over, I tried to park in my parking spot at the uh, Dolphins training facility at Nova Southeastern at Davie. And the security, and I noticed that where Palm Beach Post had been painted on the, on the curb there, we had been painted over. And the security guard was waving me. And I was like, what, what happened to my parking spot? And the guy goes, uh, Coach Saban says you don't park here anymore. <laughs> 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 so I remember another day uh, I showed up for the Dolphins media workroom which is uh, now where um, players like Indomitian and Sue do their weekly press conferences. Jay Cutler was in there today. And the door wasn't opening. The door was locked. And I was like, what the hell? What's, is my swipe pad? My, what do you call that? Well, anyway, a little swipe access card. Is there something wrong with this? So I went around and I said, hey, it doesn't look like the media workroom door is working. And some other guy said, oh, Coach Saban said, you guys don't work there anymore. <laughs> So the dictator impacted your work as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, not not a big not a big small talk guy, and yeah. that's why it fascinates me that Saban, in some way, influenced Adam Gase. Um, you know, it's not bad to have been around Nick Saban relative to, as he would say, that's his, his huge phrase, yeah. relative to. <laughs> uh, it's not bad to be around Nick Saban relative to uh, work ethic, discipline, structure, research, studying film, and all that stuff. But I sure hope that um, uh, more of Nick Saban's personality, demeanor, approach to the media, um, approach with players doesn't show itself in Adam Gase as the years go on. 
Yeah, relative and little Debbie's is what I remember about Nick Saban. So I uh, definitely recall that. And I, I I never understood why coaches treated media members like that. It's like you got a job to do just the same as, as you. You know, we're both adults and all that stuff. So uh, good for you for sticking up, uh, or I guess for dealing with that for the, for the amount of time that you had to and, and dealing with it. But, Joe, that's all I got for you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, good luck to you, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Again, he is Joe Shadow of the Palm Beach Post. You can find his work on palmbeachpost.com, and you can follow him at Shad Joe on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, you can follow me at Wingfield NFL, and you can follow the show at Locked On Fins. This is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Back here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and I got to tell you guys about Draft.com. Draft is the newest fantasy app. 500,000 people are already downloaded the app this season. You get to play in real live snake draft, but you're done in under five minutes, and it lasts for just one week. You can join one right now for week 13. The best part, play for cold, hard cash, and get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into Real Money Draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code LONFL. That's Locked On NFL. That's right. Play Real Money Game for free just by using the promo code LONFL for Locked On NFL. That's promo code LONFL. Just search Draft in your app store and go to Draft.com today and come play for free right now with promo code LONFL. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your written Dolphins content. Be back on Monday with a game recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.